For those of us that have been under the weather or hallucinatory or on another plane of existence over the last two weeks, which I think probably applies to most of us in one way or the other, I will try and recap. There were three main avenues of investigation, of careful deduction, of almost Sherlockian in insights and observational deduction. deduction. Yes. First, there was the two men hiding in a cupboard. Then... There were the two ladies causing an absolute riot at a wealthy book dealer's central London apartments. And then there was the acute professor getting into hot water in the bowels of the British Library. Yes. The thing is that all three could lead useful insights. However, the consequences for achieving that knowledge is probably going to be quite terrible for all three parties, I would imagine, because Milton, of course, had some kind of... I don't know, hallucinatory vision of, of a door appearing in the middle of an alleyway and then some terrible noises coming from behind it. I think it was the croaking noise. It was definitely there. Yeah. Well, it was, yeah. I mean, I say hallucinatory. You may say it was real. And, but well, someone went through it. So, Hamp, someone did go through it. You saw the footsteps, but you also saw the footprints go through and carry on the other side. So, well, how you deduce. That. But then you lost you lost track of Mr. Dives at that point. The uncongenial Mr. Dives, that sour, sallow-faced client of yours. So Milton and Hamp have kind of gone for another meal while they pull themselves together and try and recover themselves. I would say that, that there's probably some kind of simple daily restaurant, sort of, you know, one of these sort of daytime restaurants that serves the city workers in Mitre Square. Because you're in the city of London, in Mitre Square, where you had followed Mr. Dives to, well, some kind of office which you still haven't really gained access to. You know where it is. You know it's on the third floor of this building, but perhaps other things are, have drawn you away from that line of investigation. On the other hand, Rita and Nora continue to make friends in high places. And influence people. We make friends and influence people. You are definitely influencing people. Yes, that's one way of putting it. I believe at this point, Rita has committed GBH on an old man. Is that right? I think so. I, I hid under the bed like I like to do. And then I snuck up on him and... Gave him a clonk. Clocked him on the head. And I think that's where we left it, wasn't it? Well, no, we got a little bit more because you then went into Aston Drummle's oh. private office and you uncovered a bunch of interesting stuff, including his day book, his daily, uh, I don't know what they were calling it, I guess his appointments book, and you find out that he has an appointment later this afternoon at the Ten Bells pub in Whitechapel to meet the seller. Yeah. So that's what you uncovered, and I think you have made your exit sharply after that. And then, of course, Dr. Emery, Dr. Emery now heading down the stairs into the restricted section of the uh, British Library. Yeah, let's pick up there, Emery. With your failed pushed roll. Yes, and by new friends. Yeah, there was that peculiar man with a bit of a facial tick and then the old sort of... I, I can't actually remember the description at all, but the... I think you described him very much like an ageing Alistair Crowley. Yes, rather poor sign and with a jowly face and a balding pate and, yes, into an ill-fitting suit. And he, he has a reek of cheap tobacco and body odour about him as he gets up. His fingers are nicotine-stained and his nails are ragged and unkempt as he leads you down into the restricted section. Marvellous. And he says, So what is it you're looking for, sir? Something? Ah, uh, you see, I was trying to find something on some old, I think, pagan deity that, for some reason, doesn't seem to be very well documented. I'd expected him to be, I don't know, at least mentioned in some of the books that I looked at upstairs, but not a peep, you understand, not a peep. No, well... As I say, our ecumenical sponsors, who, who of course provide a great deal of funding and support for this institution, are not too keen on that sort of material being accessible to the general public. Mm. I'm sure you can understand. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, I've, I've seen firsthand what happens when this material gets into the wrong hands, and it's, it can be really quite frightful. Yes, well, you'll be on your own down here for a while, uh, because... 
the collection is not well organized, but take your time. You've got plenty of time, sir. Plenty of time. Oh, yes, yes. I'm never happier than when I'm surrounded by old books. And he says, I trust you will uh, leave everything in the order in which you found it. Yes. Uh, you said, though, it's very poorly organized. Um, if I do encounter materials that are misfiled or misshelved, would you prefer me to leave them like that? I'm quite happy to follow whatever guidelines you prefer, but it, it just seems like I might be able to help if I encounter problems. Well, let us say that perhaps the order is not very apparent to us, but the order is important nonetheless. I understand. I quite understand, yes. I do run a bookshop myself, and my organisational skills are something of a mystery to my colleagues, but they make perfect sense to me. And with that, he pauses on the uh, when he gets to the bottom, and he just kind of he indicates down this long, dusty corridor lined with shelves, and there's a some desks at the far end, uh, poorly lit, and there's a sort of flickering light bulb overhead, and he says, Take your time, sir. And then he turns around and heads back up and closes the door behind him and leaves you to your perusings. Oh, yes, eh? Emery is happier than he's been in a long time. And it's stiflingly hot down there. It seems to be... I guess there must be some of the ducting and the pipes that for the hot water and, and so on, which, of course, is a terrible thing for the condition of these books. And, and it seems seems like the exact opposite of what they would want or need. But there's this kind of continuous sort of clanking sound coming from the plumbing and groaning and creaking as hot water passes through the system. It feels a lot like being at home. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it sounds a lot like the interior of Dr. Emery after a, after a good session. <laughs> that too, yes. But yeah, you, you spend a bit of time just going through, you know, eventually you find where some of these books on pagan antiquity are. And actually you find some rather interesting background and history to the book that's coming up for sale. There's a lot of references to the Cadis Urbi Vera Claves, the true oh, yes. keys of the city of death. The original book, Cadis Urbi Vera Claves, was actually written in the 16th century, in 1530, by Johannes Turris and printed at Mainz. And it was almost immediately condemned by local church authorities as demonic and ordered burnt by the public executioner. Apparently a few copies survived, according to the records, mostly in major Episcopal libraries in Germany and Italy. The most recent copy known was looted in 1805 from the library of St. Stephen's Church in Branau, Austria during the Napoleonic Wars and this is the copy that apparently is coming up for sale the De Castries edition or De Castries copy. Now the owner of this or rather the person that looted it and gained it for his collection, one Julian de Castries, apparently he rose to the title of Comte de Castries, Count of Castries by Napoleon himself and a copy hasn't been seen since his son, Raymond de Castries, showed it to a visitor in Rome in 1860. And now this de Castries copy has some kind of spurious reputation of being cursed because it was apparently, allegedly, it was present in Munster shortly before its implosion at the hands of an apocalyptic cult a little bit, little while after it was written and, and in Magdeburg shortly before its destruction in 1631 by Habsburg besiegers who turned the book over to the church. So it seems like wherever this book goes, it leads to quite wide-scale destruction of major urban areas. Yes, but on the other hand, what kind of forbidden text would it be if it didn't have an evil reputation and weren't considered cursed? I mean, this is just part of the pedigree. At this point... I will let you make another library use roll. Okay. Let's see if you can succeed. I am actually quite good at library use roll. Not that the dice would have you believe that. Yes, yes. Well, let's see. This time you get a hard success. So here's what else you find out. The Comte de Castries, Julian, this man promoted by Napoleon to the title of Count. He died in Moscow, of all places, in 1812. His son Raymond inherited the title until the Bourbon Restoration of 1814, disallowed all Bonapartist titles. And his son, Raymond, died in 1871 from deprivation during the Siege of Paris. He himself had an illegitimate son, Tybalt, and it seems like this Tybalt is 
well, he seems to have taken on some of the knowledge from this book, and he himself wrote a book that you find a copy of in the collection. And this book, which of course doesn't mean anything to you, but may mean something to the others, is a book called Megapolisomancy, or A New Science of Cities. Well, it means, means something to me, but that's only because I've read Our Lady of Darkness. Right. Well, there you go. But for the uh, avid listener, I think someone, some, one of the other group found some reference to this book. I think it was Nora, actually, found a reference to the book Megapolisomancy as well. But you actually have it in your hands in front of you. This book written by the descendant several generations past of the Castries, the man whose book you seek. If you wish, you can leaf through it. You know, I think what Emery is going to do, you said this is quite a small book. Yeah, I mean, it's a. I guess it's probably no more than a couple of hundred pages. Is it slim enough that it might fit within a jacket pocket? I would say so. Yes. Are you going to steal books from the British Library? Well, I mean, it's only gathering dust down here. That is true. That is true. And it might make quite a handsome match set with the book that we're actually procuring. Indeed. But the actual reason that Emery is doing that is because what he actually came down here to do was learn about biatis and this is all very interesting but he's going to save this for later when he has more time and actually research what he came down here to find okay well so you start looking for any references to biatis you're looking into i guess various pagan reference books or histories yeah strange histories of london and that kind of thing yeah maybe that's why you came across these books because there seems to be some kind of theme running through all of this about cities and the ancient gods that have uh, some kind of deep connection to the cities that they are supposedly buried under or, or founded in some sort of way. London itself is named after Lud, you discover from looking through various books. Lud, of course, being the uh, Welsh god. Yes, who is a, a relation of Nodens. Well... I wasn't going to tell you that, but given that you know it already, yes, absolutely. Uh, London, you know, originally apparently was called Care Lud or Lud Dun, the city of the Welsh god Lud, also known as Nud. Also the Irish god Nuada. Nuada, I don't know how you pronounce that. And of course Nuada, also called Nodens in the mm. Roman times. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And as you're reading this, you start having to loosen your tie a bit and maybe take your jacket off because it's, it's getting rather hot down. It seems to be getting even a bit hotter. And that clanking sound in the pipes is, is getting a bit louder. And it's almost like, you know that sound when metal is moving against metal and it makes that sort of almost like a screeching, almost like a groaning sound as things are moving around? And it's getting so loud it actually starts becoming a bit hard to concentrate. And as you're looking at these words about the old gods, and you do come across a small inscription about Biatis. And the words start to almost vibrate on the page. It's almost like if you've been in bright light and you go in under electric light, then suddenly everything starts looking a bit shaky. And the groaning sound from the pipes, suddenly it changes its pitch and it becomes a croaking sound. And it starts echoing around this basement. And you sort of look up from the book that you were examining, and you're in a small pool of light from the electric bulb overhead. The bookshelves around you have been thrown into darkness. There's no light anywhere else. And the croaking is getting louder and louder. And then you hear this kind of thumping sound, like something big has just kind of landed on soft ground. And it's very confusing because you could swear those dark bookshelves now look like trees. And yeah, I want you to make a sanity roll at this point. That seems like quite a reasonable request. Oh, that's a bad time to roll a double zero. Oh, holy crap. That is a fumbled sanity roll. My God. Okay, well, the first thing is you get gripped by an intense fear and you sense and see this huge shape moving amongst the trees and all you can do is run. And you're running, at this point, you drop whatever you're holding and you start running, just running blindly and you're bumping into branches and you don't, of course, understand what's going on. The Underfoot, it's no longer the ancient stones of the British Library. You're, you're running through leaf litter and broken branches and twigs and clumps of mud are sticking to your shoes. 
and you suddenly get incredibly cold as well because, well, you're outside and it seems like it's winter. There might even be a thin rime of frost on some of the trees and a gentle fall of snow. And this croaking is getting louder and louder behind you as you hear this elephantine tread of some giant thing. But you fight this urge to turn as you run through the trees. You know that if you turn around and you look at this thing, it's all, all will be lost. You can almost feel its fetid breath on your back. And you push your way through the trees. And then almost as suddenly as, as they turn into trees, you suddenly just stumble straight, point blank, into a stone wall. Like, it wasn't there a second ago, and then you're just face-planting into this stone wall. And as you pass out from having basically knocked your, just run face first into a stone wall, you hear this grinding sound behind you like a stone door closing behind and slamming shut. And then all goes black. Not the first time Emery's passed out in the streets of London. Indeed, indeed. But we will leave Dr. Emery there and we will return to Hamp and Milton in their, I guess it would be a chop house. I think you're in a chop house. Maybe having some chops and mash. Mmm, that sounds very nice. Everything's mash related. Yeah, yeah. Now, what are chops? No, I was just thinking that we will probably be discussing uh, reconvening with the others because I'm hoping to have some kind of stakeout in this alleyway. Mmm. And I'm just really perplexed by the whole series of events. And uh, also, having discovered. Uh, which office he was visiting. I'm wondering uh, what kind of scheme we might come up with that we'd be able to maybe head up there and get some information from the architect. Wasn't he an architect's office or something? It was an architect's office, yes. Mm. Yeah, Horace and Moore, architects. Mm. Yeah, there's a theme we're developing here, isn't there? Mm. <laughs> Horace and Moore. Or some more architects, yeah. I mean, it is the middle of the day. You know that your f- friends are all off doing their various errands and following up their clues. Maybe the easiest thing would be, be to meet up in the evening at the end of end of the working day. Maybe at the pub. Maybe at the Georgian Vulture. Have another pint or two. Yeah, and maybe uh, some nibbles. Yeah, of course. Because it'll only have been three hours since your last main meal. So, So do you have a scheme then for... Going up to the well, I don't. I was maybe thrash it out with Hamp, see what he can come up with. I'm wondering whether we can perhaps pretend we're operating on behalf of uh, dives. dives. Dives, yes. Just, I'm going to go back to my chops then. No, no, I'm, I'm waiting for when I'm needed. Well, Hamp, Hamp, what do you suggest? How, how might we? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not. You know, I'm. I'm more of a man of action. You know, and uh, this kind of private investigator. Getting to the bottom of things, kind of nonsense. It doesn't, doesn't quite click for me. So uh, coming up with plans of action and, and whatnot, it's a, it's a little beyond me. I, I just need to be pointed in a direction and set loose. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. I, personally, I'm just contemplating the prospect of walking up all those stairs. It's a little off-putting. Well, yeah, when you, you, know, you could go do all that or you could just, you know, stay here and have another drink. And you put it to yourself that way and it's almost not, a, not even a question. Indeed. Indeed. But are you suggesting we, we take the afternoon off? It wouldn't be the worst idea. But then again, I, yeah, where is it? There's a purpose for every mission. and yeah. Well, I, I guess another drink wouldn't harm anything. I think, if anything, it'll help. Indeed. I couldn't agree more. Well, I mean, you'll have to have brought your own because this is a respectable establishment. They don't serve hard liquor in a chop house. What, say we, we head to the Vulture uh, once we've finished these delicious chops? That's one of the yeah, best ideas I've heard all day. What sort of meat is this, by the way? It's a chop. That's all you need to know. Yeah, it's a pork chop. Or something else, or some other animal. What else has got a big old layer of fat around it like this? It's delicious. Lots of animals have. You make a chop out of it? And... Well, I guess, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ham just kind of looks melting up and down and goes, yeah, yeah, what else? What else? Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> Well, we will leave you stewing in your own lamb chops for a while. Maybe we can come back to you a bit later. Lamb chops, lamb. Yeah, no, I always assume it's lamb chops in a chop house. I think that is the, the tradition, lamb chops. I always think of pork chops. Just... Yeah, no. So heading back across town to the West End, of course, we have our two true detective ladies, I guess, 
who have managed to make their getaway from Aston Drummle's apartments on Gower Street. And Rita, yes, you have, maybe you scribble it down on a scrap of paper or something, but you have the address and name of the pub where he'll be meeting the seller in just a few hours' time. A few hours' time. Okay. Yeah, I, I wrote it down in my notebook. Okay, when are they meeting? When's the meeting, please? 3 p.m. today. It's about midday right now. Okay, 3 p.m., 3 p.m. That's in the afternoon. Okay, right. It's And it's midday now. Okay. Um, the first thing is, do I know where Nora is? Do we have a code? Yeah, you caught up with her on the at the top of Gower Street by Euston Road, where she was waiting for you. Okay. So, a bit excited, a bit out of breath. I catch up with Nora and I, and I say, Nora, 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 Nora. He's got a meeting today with the seller. Really? He's got a meeting with the seller. Yeah, at three o'clock. At, uh, let me just look in my notepad, uh, which uh, the pub is called the... Uh, Ten Bells. The, oh, the Ten Bells. Yeah, that's right. I got a new talking notebook. It's fantastic. You should get one yourself. That seems like a good idea. Whispering notebook. The whispering notebook. Okay, the Ten Bells. Now... I've just been thinking about 30 miles an hour as I'm running over here. Have we got time to go back to the office and try and get the others and then get to the meeting? Or, is, or what do you think, Nora? I think we should probably try that. I think we have some time. We, would we be able to get back to the office in the shop and get back in time, Andy? Yeah, because, I mean, it's not exactly a direct route because the 10 mills is in Whitechapel, which is in the east end. So you'd be going a bit north and then a bit south again in the east. But yeah, it wouldn't. I mean, as long as they were there, you could do the whole trip in probably an hour. You would have plenty of time. Okay, well, we'll go back. We'll see if we can find them. Hopefully Dr. Emery's there and in a state of mind that's, you know, (laughs) in a good state of mind, let's say. Absolutely. Yeah, and we can find Hamp and Milton and... uh, it's a pub. I'm sure that Milton will be willing to go. They serve wonderful pies, I'm sure. So, Nora's obviously never been to an East End pub before, so yeah, that's that. She can keep that. No, yeah, I never have been. Yep. And I'm sure if there's good drinks to be had, then I guess Hamp and Dr. Emery will be also, they'll, they'll also be along for it. Yes, plus I would like to get Dr. Emery's opinion on the books that we learned about and see if he's ever heard of Haggerty Crap and and, all of, and, and some of the other things that we've seen. And, and Rita... But you must learn to control your temper just a little bit. Okay. I mean, I'm not trying to criticize, darling, but there's no. there's a time to headbutt and a time to restrain ourselves a little bit. And trust me, when the time comes to headbutt, you'll know it. Oh, right. I mean, I sh- yeah, I, I think it would have been a lot more successful if I'd actually managed to hit him. Probably, yes. I mean, I wouldn't say it was anger, really. Just, I think it was fairly calculated, no, wasn't it? I think that Nora is, she's speaking about a deeper kind of anger, an anger of the soul. I see. A sort of dark, twisted interior somewhere. Exactly. Mm, okay. Very good. So, you get a bus, perhaps, just a, a London omnibus. Yes, you get an omnibus back to Watson's Antiquities. And when you arrive, the the place is actually shut up. I guess we haven't decided yet whether people have access to it when Watson has... Of course we've got access to it. All right, yeah, yeah. What do you mean? It's our office. We've got our office upstairs. No, well, you've got your office. Okay, so you go to your office rather than the bookshop, presumably. Do you honestly think we'd set up a a detective agency relying on Dr. Emery's working hours? No, 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 but I think you've got a different entrance. I was just wondering whether you've got access to the bookshop. I thought we had to go through the bookshop for our detective aid. That's what I thought. No, I just assumed it was like a... Yeah, apartment, but like a like flats. The pie shop is separate. I don't mind. The pie shop is separate. Uh, but I thought I thought we were upstairs, kind of. Yes. When Emery can't manage to do something, we do it. Right. Yes. All right. So you have keys. So you let yourselves in, and the bookshop is empty. Mel Pomony is there, giving you a, a very inscrutable look, looking like she really wants to tear your face off. But that's pretty much her her standard look as you come in. That's a cat look, right? <laughs> Yes, that's the cat, yes. Rita chucks a little bit of the dried fish that she carries around in her pocket to the cat to keep it friendly. Yeah, Mel Pimmy just turns her nose up and bats it away with her paw. Certainly not good enough for her. Absolutely. Rita is going to have to change her clothes, and she strongly encourages Nora to do that as well, because, of course, we've been partially sighted, if you like, at the previous location. Yes, we should change and see if Dr. Watson is, in fact, here. So I'll kind of go around the place, see if he's there, and then I'll go up and change. (laughs) 
Yeah, so of course there is no one in. He even checked that the place where he normally takes a day his daytime naps, let's call them, in the back of the shop, and he's not there. He's not there. You do see the aftermath of last night's uh, drinking, um, but there's no Watson. Rita, you're getting changed and maybe looking out of the window down to the street below, and you see you see Hamp and Milton just walking along, and they they actually head into the Georgian Vulture. Jesus Christ. Okay, well, maybe uh, half an hour later, you're all ready to go and you uh, reconvene with, with Hamp Milton in, in the Georgian Vulture. They're already maybe a couple of pints in as Elton Spreadburn has poured out a couple of real ales for each of them. Milton, Mr. Hamp, it's good to see you both and in one piece. Well, um, the same uh, should be said for you. Um, I trust uh, Rita's been... Uh, Behaving herself? Being quite supportive in the, in the investigation. Rita has actually, despite a few hiccups, got, procured some very good information for us. She's been very helpful. Rita's pointing at the two of them. She's just pointing at them. I must say, Rita, I mean, I've seen some very bizarre things in my time, but I have to say that your approach to the, the world of uh, investigation, it's unlike anything I've ever encountered before. Well, I don't have time not to take that as a compliment. So what we've come here to tell you is that uh, we need to be in Whitechapel by three o'clock. Yes, we do. We uh, discovered that the seller, he says a meeting with the seller, right? The, um, what was his name again? Drummle. It's right. Drummle. Ha- has a meeting with the seller of these books at three o'clock at the Ten Bells pub in Whitechapel. Ah, ah. See, I had quite a bizarre experience we followed dives to an architect's office and then when he left there he literally disappeared down an alleyway he went through a door i pursued him and suddenly the door was gone it was just an empty alleyway really bizarre experience and i was hoping that perhaps we could stake out the area but as you're that this three o'clock appointment is uh, time sensitive it might be best for us to all head in that direction he literally disappeared well yes he disappeared the door the wall in which the door was placed everything gone and i found myself looking did the wall disappear yes the wall disappeared it sounds strange what was there when instead of the wall then uh, nothing the the alleyway continued or or what was a doorway became an alleyway oh okay and i could just see through to the next street that's very disturbing indeed well we do want to look at that area Mm. no i was just wondering if it was some kind of bizarre way of traversing the city by i don't know i haven't quite formulated what might be going on but it strikes me that he's stepped into something that is no longer there well, I would say that you've been eating too many eels in your eel pies, but I've seen too much to discount what you say. That's a fair assessment. Mr. Hamp, did you see this happen? I don't want to speculate on things like that. There's things that is possible, there's things that's impossible. Well, I, I'm a little bit more open to things being possible after spending some time in the world of Key West or Key Largo, wherever it was. <laughs> Whichever movie. Should we get over to Whitechapel, or are we just going to stand around watching you? No, you're right. Let's go. Let's head to Whitechapel. You're right, Rita, but Milton, Hamp, I think we should also go back and look at this other place, but as you say, this has a time on it, so we'll go there first, and depending on what we see, we can then go over to that alleyway. I would love to see it. And Has anybody seen Dr. Watson? Well, at this precise moment, the door kind of is thrown open, and Dr. Watson staggers in with a great duck egg-sized bump on his forehead and he looks rather unsteady and he's clutching a book in his hand. <laughs> I, wonderful to see you all. If you'll give me just a moment, I do rather need a gin. Uh, he staggers over to the bar. And Spreadburn says, All right, Prof, I know exactly what you need when you come in looking like that. And he pulls out a bottle from underneath the counter and he says... Five measures or six today? Better make it the full six. And he fills up this a tumbler full of gin and just puts it into your hand. He says, keep a hold tight of it. Looks like you're a bit shaky today. 
I, oh, good man, good man. You, purely medicinal, you understand. Yeah, you drain it in one. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and you somewhat come back to your senses after <laughs> drinking a, a tumbler full of gin, but you've no idea how you got here from the British Library. You do remember, the last thing you remember is some weird dream you had. You must have fallen asleep or something. Uh, but yeah, and being yes. some, some toad or some toads or something in a forest. And... Yeah, something to do with a swamp, yes. Yes, eh? hmm. uh, yes, it must be in the noise in the pipes that put that idea in my head. So, I've been doing a bit of research and I stumbled across this, I'll say, and plop the book down in the middle of the table. Oh. Yeah, so he puts down this book, this megapolisomancy book, on the table, and Nora, you suddenly realise that that's the book that, or at least one of the books, that Drummle's been after from his notes that you managed to see when you were in the bookshop in um, Hathaway & Co., I thought that, at the very least, even if it doesn't prove useful in our researches, that uh, it might bump up the asking price if we uh, include it as, say, part of a themed set. Definitely. And it must be important, though, if he's looking for it. Mr. Drummle, do you know what megapolisomancy is? I would assume that it is some form of divination relating to cities, or large cities, uh, based on the name, but beyond that I haven't quite had time to delve into it yet. Well, it's a very good find, because I don't know if we actually want Drummle to get his hands on it. Hmm, why not? I don't know. I just have a feeling hmm. that he might not be the... I don't know. It was just something about maybe his house or his, his butler, the things that Rita saw in his bedroom. Oh, oh dear. Well, wasn't he reading books on, like, geometry and Jack the Ripper and stuff? Yes, he was. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. he was. She, like, I just had this feeling that the book is much better in your possession, Dr. Watson. So. Yes, well, at the very least, I will spend some time reading it, I think. It does look like potentially a, an interesting little tome. Now, Dr. Emery, the thing is that I found out that Trummel is meeting the seller... At 3 p.m. in Whitechapel. Oh, yes. I, I suppose we had uh, better eavesdrop on that. And we better do it a bit quicker than we're doing, because the time is running out. Yes, yes, yes. Let me just clean up my head wound a little bit, and then I shall... But then there's another point here. Now, I mean, I don't know if this is the right place to be having this discussion, but if we're going to where Drummle's going to meet the seller, I don't know if you are the best person to have at that location, because they know you. Oh, yes, but it sounds like, well, you were quite familiar with Mr. Drummle's abode. Does that not mean that he knows you as well? No, he wasn't there. It was his butler. Oh, well, I suppose as long as he hasn't had the opportunity to communicate with his butler, because if he has, of course. Uh, you'll forgive me for saying so, Miss Rita, but you are rather distinctive. Well, see, what I've done and what Nora's done is we're now in disguise. Of course you are. I guess you can see I am dressed as a St. John's ambulance nurse. I didn't want to ask, but I suppose so. I am just dressed in regular clothes. But I think... Perhaps Dr. Emery has a point, and maybe, maybe Hamp and Milton, since they haven't really... Maybe they should be the ones that actually go into the pub, and we can be there as backup. We've not had dealings with them, so... Oh, yes. Yes, yeah, that might make sense. And as we go over there, Dr. Watson, you can tell me what you know about a, an author named Haggerty Crap. So I'm sorry, I just love that name. <laughs> the folklorist? Yes, I, I think we got some of his books in recently. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Now, Dr. Emery, are you going to be sick on the bus again? I'm not entirely sure. I am feeling rather delicate, as as you might be able to tell. I did seem to run headfirst into a brick wall at some stage, and I'm not entirely sure why. Then let's sit near the front, shall we? Yes, yes, somewhere near a window. Got it. So, on the way over, Crap himself argues that the myth of Lug and Baylor is only one reflection of a much older, wider myth pitting a warlike hero, Lug, Krishna, Kulwuch, I guess that's the Welsh 
I can't pronounce it. Apollo, Zeus, against a devouring giant or god. This seems to be a very common theme. The giant or god might be Baylor, Rahu, Isbadaden, Typhon, Saturn, who the hero kills often by beheading, buries, or enslaves. Often the fertile hero is trying to debauch, seduce, or marry the daughter or priestess of the sterile or poisonous giant god. Sometimes the dueling gods are father and son or brothers. One version features a one-eyed giant named V or Viatis, whose mouth or eye must be propped open by servants. Ah, yes. Well, I, I shall relate some of this to the others, and probably a bit less coherently than that. I think the debauchery bit is the bit you focus on mainly, isn't it? The... <laughs> yes. But yeah, there seems to be this continuous theme throughout all these stories about a one-eyed giant that needs to be slain and by the hero. Oh, one-eyed giant. Okay, interesting. Thank you, Dr. Watson. Yes, yes. I, it is rather interesting. I'm not entirely sure that I accept all his conclusions. He does seem to have cast his net rather wide there, but uh, I suppose there may be a point in there somewhere. Well, certainly Dremel's interested in it, so... Did you also want to look at the Megapolisomancy book on the way over, or are you keeping that for later? Have you got it with you? Dr. Watson is quite happy for someone else to read that on the bus. I think between the head wound, the very large gin, and the motion of the bus, the last thing he wants at the moment is to be reading. This will probably end poorly. Yes. I'd certainly love to have a look at the book. This uh, looks like a very intriguing volume. Yeah, and it immediately strikes you as... There seem to be some kind of strange connections to even some of the things that you've been through in your recent past, because this book, this mega polysomancy book, uh, or A New Science of Cities by this Tybo de Castries, it was written in or printed in 1900 in San Francisco. Oh, intriguing. And the author himself apparently founded, it says it in the frontispiece, he founded a magical society called the Onyx Dusk, which is a really bad play on Golden Dawn, I guess, if you think about it. But the Onyx Dusk in San Francisco around the turn of the century and on the basis of black Pythagorean science, which all sounds very extreme, of course, black Pythagorean science. But the book is kind of fascinating because it claims, at least from what you gather by skimming it uh, in the half hour that you're sitting on the bus, claims that cities, especially modern cities, serve as accumulations of death energies, immense steel and electric versions of the pyramids of Egypt, and other ancient hermetic constructs. Tybo de Castries claims that his new science encompasses predicting new building, new construction, causing earthquakes, and awakening something called paramental entities that haunt cities. Ooh. There's also a wide range of divinations and curses that you can create using sacred geometry and map reading. So that's what you get from skimming it. Perhaps you can dig a bit deeper with more time. Well, I guess, yeah, well, I'm running out of time, aren't I? But I was just wondering if there was any reference to opening doorways. Most certainly, yes. I mean, this whole idea of being able to change the form of cities, the layout, but to conjure up new construction through through the power of elemental energies is very much a theme. Yes. Right. So, well, maybe you can learn how to do it. Perhaps. Perhaps. Well, if that information's there. But the omnibus trundle, trundles to a halt outside a typical East End boozer, shoddy and run down. There's piles of rubbish heaped up outside and there's a drunkard just half lying, half sitting off to the side by the corner having uh, taken one too many perhaps. I mean he, he might be just a, a working man or he might be a tramp, it's hard to tell really he's pretty shoddily dressed as well but yeah, so is it, it's going to be Hamper Milton then, is that the plan? You're going to go in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. so because that butler certainly know, knew us and yeah, of course, there's always a chance Drummle went back between your visit and now and, and already knows that there are two rather dangerous women on the prowl after him. That's right. We are dangerous women. You are dangerous women. So let's be, let's be totally clear. What are we hoping to achieve here? What, Nora, any, any advice? I look at the rest of them. Do you think we should try to, as Dr. Watson said, kind of undercut and buy the book ourselves? I think now you're all telling me to calm down and 
manage my anger and all of these kinds of things. To me, it seems like the first things is we need to know who the seller is. We need the name and address and we need the, to know the prices. We need to know where they are, where they got the book. If they bring it, we, we need to know those basic things. And then we can make an assessment of, about the next step. Now, of course, if something happens in the meeting and the Hamp and, and Dr. Milton need to you know, make a quick decision about something, then that's something else. You've only one headbutt away, but you know, I'm impressed, Rita, I have to say. That's, uh, yeah. Well, you see, I've, contrary to what some of you might think, I've actually spent more time making notes in my notebook than headbutting people. Well, maybe you could focus in on that. <laughs> What's the ratio? There's only so much focusing in on that pad I can do in a day, I tell you. I'm going to tell you, Rita, I think that's a very impressive plan. I'm proud of you, and so we'll shit. Does that make sense, Milton? That you're going to try to overhear? Kind of. Certainly. As long as I'm not being expected to headbutt anybody, I'm absolutely fine. No, no, of course not. I seem to recall Milton being pretty handy with his walking stick, but, well, you know, it's another day. Yeah, well, yes, well, when push comes to shove, but, you know, I'm not the aggressor usually in those situations. That's true. That's true. You, you're defensive. Defensive actions only. So do the rest of you want to just lurk around outside or, or go around the corner or maybe find somewhere to watch the pub from? Yes, I suppose watching it from outside. Well, watching it from outside does have the advantage that if the gentlemen get into any problems, we can rescue them. But it does pose the potential problem that we may be observed ourselves. Are you not all dressed as nurses, then? I mean, honestly, I might pay some money to watch Dr. Watson and ever get dressed up as a nurse, but I think I think not. <laughs> With legs like these, it would be a crime not to. So Maybe there's actually a bookshop opposite that you could be browsing around in and spend at least oh, a, a good few hours. Yes, why not? Well, the difficulty then will be getting Dr. Watson to pay attention to anything else other than the books. That's true. I tell you what, I've got another idea. Now, forgive me, Dr. Watson, but you're not feeling too well. Maybe you could sit down conveniently somewhere outside the pub and I could kind of be, you know, dressing your wounds as a St. John's ambulance nurse. Uh, yes, I, I suppose. And if you used sufficient bandages, it might obscure my identity and... Oh, God, don't they, they know you better. This is, oh, no, that doesn't work. Unless, yeah, we wrapped your whole head Just wrap head up. the whole head. Just wrap the whole head. Oh, no. Just leave the nose and the eyes. Yes, but as tempting as that might be, I fear that it might make us even more conspicuous. Stay inconspicuous. That's right. That's right. How about if, Rita, if you join me in the bookshop and then perhaps, Nora, if you keep an eye on the pub and if there's any commotion, let us know and we shall uh, come out and join the fray. <laughs> good idea. Okay, I think that's a good idea. Yep. Okay, so Nora's on lookout. Milton and Hamp go into the pub, the Ten Bells. It's about quarter to three at this point, let's say. So there's, they got a quarter of an hour, apparently, before this meeting is scheduled. So you go and find yourselves a fairly discreet nook, sort of corner table or booth, corner booth of the pub. It's a, it's a spit and sawdust kind of place, of course. And the Irish barman pulls you a couple more pints. I think this is probably about the fifth pint for each of you today. So, you know, you're nicely lubricated. We, we all do our best work when we're pissed. Yeah, I, I think you do. I think you do. And unfortunately, Emery hasn't had a drink in hours. So perhaps, you know, since, since that huge gin, so in a couple of hours. So, uh, and, and there's, of course, only tea in this bookshop, which is a bit disappointing. But you probably carry your own supply anyway, if you need to. Yeah, little flasks. Uh, yes, I, I was about to say, yes. Uh, yeah. Emery's being very much the hip flask sort. Exactly. So you're stationed in the bookshop, just ready for any disturbance and to, to leap into action as only a, a 70 year old anthropologist with a crippling booze dependency on alcohol <laughs> can do uh, yes yeah about 15 minutes later Hamp and Milton you're sitting there and first a man comes in that looks completely out of place here I've shown you his picture once before I think the other week it is of course the dapper elegant well dressed oiled and quaffed figure of Aston Drummle who positively reeks of superiority 
not just an air of superiority, he's projecting it all over you as he comes in and sort of looks around himself, almost unconsciously brushes off his clothing as if he's already picking up unpleasant debris from this establishment. He goes over to a table, rather ostentatiously takes out his handkerchief and wipes down the seat of the chair that he's about to deposit himself on and then snaps his fingers and just calls over to the barman for a glass of port. As, uh, probably thinking that's the least offensive thing that he can drink in this place. So he sits there, just looking at his fingernails and perhaps polishing his, you know, twiddling his thin moustache. And there's a cough and a doughy, sweaty fellow with a drooping moustache comes in and acknowledges Drummle and just goes straight over and slumps down into the chair with a heavy thump. And he's got a really terrible cough, actually. He's coughing and occasionally he even spits on the floor next to him to Drummle's evident disgust. It would be a fair assumption that he's got tuberculosis or something of the type because he's constantly hawking and coughing and spitting and wheezing as he speaks. Drummle seems to be anxious to accelerate matters and the, the doughy sweaty man who comes in he says I need more it's got to be more what you've offered me that ain't enough it won't cover my end you see and he coughs a few times and he says uh, maybe uh, maybe other parties would be more willing to, to <coughs> cough up a bit more and Drummle looks at him with faintly disguised disgust and, and says, My good man, I'm offering you a very simple deal here. We won't have to get involved in any of that business. And he says, I oh, know if you're after it, a man of your standing, it must be worth more than you're telling me. I know your type. <laughs> Coughs up a bit more. And then Drummle says, Look, listen here, Bowers, old fellow. Don't come over all high-minded all of a sudden. Look, I know, your mother, she stole that book from someone who stole it from someone whose father stole it in 1805. For all I know, you stole it from her. If you start getting too many ideas, you may find it stolen from you before you see a shilling of it. And this, this man, who, who you now know is called Bowers, coughs up a huge gob of green phlegm, spits it on the floor, slides his foot over it and says, You wouldn't know where to look, mate. Now listen, don't you go trying to twist things around. This is a straight sale. If you want to turn it into an auction, I'm very happy to do it. I know how things work in this city. And then Bowers gets up and he says, Three days, you say? That's when your man gets here? That's when you'll see it. And then he gets up and he leaves Drummel sitting there looking rather nonplussed. I say, Ham, do you think one of us might want to follow this Bowers fella, as unpleasant as he is? I don't want to get too close to him. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. Okay, so, okay. Hamp, you get up from your booth, and you don't have to make a stealth roll for this part of it, because why would Drummle have any inkling that you, you're there spying on him, because you've been pretty discreet. But what I want you to do when you come out of the pub is to make a stealth roll. I'm so good at that. You're really not good at it. Uh-uh. Well, now, the thing is, this Bowers chap he's he seems to be very wary very suspicious and as you get to the threshold of the pub the doorway the step leading down into the streets of Whitechapel beyond you realize that he's kind of turned and he's looking back in your direction to see if he's actually being followed so either you can withdraw or you can try something to push the roll you're about to step over outside when you realise he's actually looking back in the direction of the pub and he'll see you unless you can hold back. Or you could try something to push the roll. You know, doubling down is not going to help here. We don't need to be pushing no rolls. So um, you're just going to have to embrace the situation. Mm. Hey, hey there, fella. I wouldn't mind walking with you for a minute. You don't mind too much. Got a question for you. He narrows his eyes a bit and he says, Fuck off. And then he just turns and he and he starts off down the Whitechapel High Street. I just follow after him. Hamster's going to keep up a little bit, because why not at this point? Listen there, fella. I got the feeling, just overheard a little something something in there, and um, just got the feeling you're a man that uh, likes money. He says, who the fuck are you? I've not seen you before. Are you one of Drummle's boys? You're not going to turn me over, you cunt. I, I tell you right now, I don't know what a Drummle is. 
My name's Hempstead, Hempstead Cuddy of the Texas Cuddies, and I'm just in town uh, carousing a bit and having a good old time with some oil money. I got more money to spend than you can imagine, and I don't even know what to spend it on, but when I hear a man's got something for sale that other people want, I want it too. He says, you're not with Drummel, that snake. Again, fella, <laughs> I don't know nothing about snakes, except, uh, you know, them old copperheads, cottonmouths back home, but... What I do know is, uh, supply and demand. Look, I can't talk now. Drummle's probably be out in a minute. Look, I'll tell you what, meet me tonight. Meet me tonight, uh, but not here, not at the Bells. Drummle knows this place. Meet me at the Black Lion, all right? Black Lion. It's only half a mile from here. Meet me at the Black Lion. Uh, we can talk a bit more there, but look, it's too sketchy now. Drummle's got associates. They might be around in the area. And then he just turns around and he walks off. 10 p.m. tonight, Black Lion. You got it, brother. And then he continues walking. So, Milton, you're inside the Ten Bells in your booth and Drummle finishes off his port with a sour look on his face. And then he gets up and goes over to the barman, sort of leans in, has a quiet word with him. And then he, he stalks off out of the pub. And the barman, kind of to everyone and no one in general looks around and he says these bloody weirdos come into my pub all time of day all time of night I don't know and then he carries on cleaning out the pint glasses whistling uh, tunelessly can I try and strike up a conversation with him and uh, say yeah, weirdos what, what was he what was he on about then this fancy fella Drummel you don't see the likes of him coming around to the ten bells often but oh that Bowers he's always in here trying something on I was Always trying to sell something, is he? Oh, that's it. Yeah, I know. I don't know. His poor old mum. I reckon he's taken half of her stuff over the years and tried to pawn it off on my customers. If you ask me, he's not a good boy, that Bowers. A bit of a sharp one. Well, he certainly looks like he needs a lot of clearing up after him. I'm surprised you let him in here coughing his uh, guts up all over the place. Well, uh, I don't know. Money's money, after all. He pays his drinks. He pays his way. I mean... You can figure out where he gets all his money from, but... Mm. Well, you see, he's been in a good mood recently, though. He told me he's got a big deal in the works that'll uh, get him out of here for good. I tell you, half the folk that come in here have got some kind of pipe dream like that. He's been talking about this book, you see. One that his ma had. Or oh, she's got it still, either way. Anyway, apparently it's worth quite a fair bit. Oh, would you happen to know what it's called? I'm a bit of a book collector myself. Oh, no. I mean, maybe you could ask his mum, though. I'm sure she'd know. Well, that would be uh, grand if... Uh, whereabouts does she does she live? Oh, she's... They live together over in Wapping, you see. Oh. The mum used to be in service. Oh, very interesting. I think Bowers moved out about a week ago, though, because he's been coming in here right regular, and that's a hell of a trek to be coming all the way from Wapping over here to Whitechapel. Well, yeah, I'll say. No, no, you see, I reckon he's got digging somewhere around here, you see. Hmm. But he won't say. I don't know, he's been acting right weird. Like he's kind of, someone's got the evil eye on him or something. Well, I don't know. I guess you'll be glad to see the back of him when his deal goes through. Oh, yeah. As if they all say something like that. One big deal and then I'll be clear of this shite hole. But I tell you what, they always turn up again a week later, having spent it at the bookies. Yeah, yes, you're probably right. Oh, well, thank you very much for the chat. Right you are, right you are. I'm very intrigued by this book that you mentioned. Oh, it's probably some old nonsense. They all have something going like that. Something about, I don't know, witches and demons and that kind of thing. They seem to put an awful lot of stock into it. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, that stuff's getting to be uh, quite popular these days. I don't know what it is. Something in the air. Well, anyway, friend, uh, your your name, just in case uh, Bowers drops in again, like maybe you could meet up with him. What's your name, sir? Brian Windsor. Brian Windsor. Ah, oh, what a fine name. Right. And he, he wipes his hand on his jacket and shakes your hand and, and bids you good day. Thank you very much, sir. So the rest of you, while you were in the shop, Nora, whilst this was all happening, you saw this... Drummle go in. I don't think you know what he looks like, do you? Drummle, I don't. I never seen him. No. No, you you've never seen Drummle. So 
you saw an elegantly dressed man go in who maybe you could assume was Drummond. You know that he's rich and wealthy and, and, and he looked really out of place. Then you saw this sweaty, doughy fellow with a droopy handlebar moustache go in and then come out a little while later, followed by Hamp, who had some kind of interaction with him. Did you just want to let them get on with it or did you want to do something subsequently or are you happy to have let Hamp just have the conversation and then... I think I'm happy with letting them have the conversation. I don't want to run up there and have it all go pear-shaped. So, because mm. of me. All right, fair enough. So, a little while later, you're all back again at, at home base, having done your various snoopings and espionages. And you have an address now, Milton, of Bowers, or at least where Bowers used to live, and certainly where his mum lives, and apparently where this book is, or was... This Bowers comes from... I mean, he must be staying locally because I'm sure he's not coming all the way over from uh, Wapping. Daily. He's here daily. Well, that gives us a chance to meet up with him again. I've got an appointment with the fella. The Black Lion. 10 p.m. London time. And I will tell you, I was mighty crafty. I hope... Now, I hope uh, in your endeavors there, uh, Mr. Milton, you, you didn't use your real name, did you? Oh, no, no, no. Brian Windsor. Good, good, good. Me, me either, me either. I told him my name was Hampstead Cuddy instead of Hampton, so no way he'll find me. So, I assume, Milton, you tell us about the mother as well, then? Uh, yes. He shouts from the other side of the, of the shop. I wonder if it's worth calling on the mother when the sun is out. Well, as far as you know, he won't be there ever, because he now lives, apparently, somewhere close to Whitechapel. Apparently he moved out a week ago. Ah, Oh, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, Rita calling on the mother sounds like a great idea, though. Yeah, it does sound like a great idea. Oh, God. Don't headbutt her. No, um, Rita's ready to, you know, accompany someone else to the mother's house, should the group think that's a good idea. Yeah. I think that we should definitely make use of Mr. Hemp, <laughs> his appointment tonight at, at the Black Lion. Okay. That might be the way to... In what way? In what way? Yes, I was quite wondering that myself. We have another a, a number of avenues we can pursue at this stage, but what is it we're, we're hoping to gain? I mean, obviously, we want to try to procure this book by whatever means. I mean, are we, at this stage, uh, simply laying the groundwork to steal it, or are our plans more subtle than that? Hmm, it's a good question. Is just buying it an option? That was what I was wondering. It quite possibly is, yes. I, um, I'd say approach this carefully, because if, let's say for argument's sake, we do end up resorting to larceny, then dealing with our potential victims too directly does potentially place ourselves in some degree of danger, or at least lines us up for future suspicion. That's true. I think we need to give some serious thought at this stage to what our goals are, how we hope to achieve them, and, and perhaps as successful as we've been in the past by simply blundering from situation to situation and improvising, perhaps this time we might try some forward planning. Dr. Watson, that is very wise. As always, you are the voice of reason. Oh, God. Fantastic. Rita's writing forward planning in her notebook. And triple underlining it. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think he's right, because he, I was thinking to myself, what am I trying to achieve? I know I've been following booksellers around, but... Essentially, you've been hired to try and get hold of this book. Yes. Drummle clearly, you know, is holding the cards at the moment, because he knows the seller and he's made a deal. But Dives is trying to turn it into an auction, into a bidding war, really. Yes, that's the difficulty, that there is competition and we may not be the only people with deep pockets. Exactly. If we want to absolutely guarantee that we are successful here, then it does seem like the only surefire option is criminality. Absolutely. And probably descend into violence, though, I imagine. Yes, there's always the quicker and more, more painful way of resolving those auctions. Yes. Yeah, bidding with extreme prejudice. Small, it may be big. He repairs them all with what you call a thingamajig. Pitter-patter-patter, pitter-patter-patter, here comes the rain. 
It's thank you time again. So first of all, thank you as usual to Sirenscape for providing the amazing sound beds, sound effects and music for the podcast. Also, of course, this podcast it would exist, but it wouldn't have the same joy and energy it does have if it wasn't for the Patreon backers. I love you all. I thank you all. You make my day, my month, my year. And at whatever level you're backing, I'm just so, so grateful. And thank you for helping us keep going. If you want to show your support for the show, please go to patreon.com forward slash grizzlypeaks, where you can join at a variety of levels, which will give you early access exclusive bonus episodes and even the chance to play in one of our invitation only patreon backer games and they've been awesome He'll patch up your troubles and go on his way singing to the luma luma to the luma to the and the umbrellas to men today. Umbrellas to men, umbrellas to men.